continue uh, the saga today. Uh, we're actually going to take a couple of steps back, and uh, we're going to go back to Exodus chapter 3. So if you have your Bible or your iPhone, want to follow along, we're going to read a few verses of Scripture. My name is David, and with my wife Megan and our children, we've been visiting here for the last several months and really enjoying our time uh, with each of you. And uh, excited about this text today. We're going to go back to Exodus chapter uh, 3, verse 7, and I'm also going to pull in a couple of verses from the book of Colossians. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for doing such a great job this morning. We have an awesome uh, worship band, don't we? I mean, they are pretty amazing. Thank you, Chris, and the entire team for what you guys did this morning and do each morning. Uh, we're going to go back. I think Pastor George now, where we are in the scriptures, when he gets back from his vacation, we're going to have a little short prayer in just a second. Pray for him because he's a fine pastor, and I know you know that. And I just want to pray for him and pray for Robin and their family as they're in Canada. And um, next time he's back uh, in the pulpit here on the platform, he's going to be, I think, preaching on the Passover. And uh, the, the ten uh, plagues are passed at that point, or the last uh, plague is, is the, the death plague, if you will. And he's going to talk about the Passover. That's such a cool text, and I hope you'll be here for that. We're going to backtrack today uh, back to Exodus chapter 3 to Moses at the burning bush. And um, we're going to explore a little truth that I did not figure out. I was in church my whole life and still am. And I didn't figure it out until I was 45 years old. And I thought, boy, if I had known this when I was 21, it would have changed my life, I think. It would have changed everybody's life around me if I could have told it uh, uh, all those years ago. But let's have a little prayer. I'm going to ask you to do this. We're going to pray for Pastor George and Robin, and we're going to pray for each other, okay? And I'm going to ask you, I'm going to pause for about three to five seconds and ask you to pray this prayer. Lord, speak to me. Because it's easy to go to church and just kind of enjoy what's going on, but not really get focused on allowing the Holy Spirit to speak directly to you. So would you bow your head for a moment and would you pray that prayer? Lord, speak to me. And Lord, that is our prayer this morning, that you would speak to and address each one of us. Lord, address us where we are in our journey of faith. And maybe we're not even on the pathway yet. <clears throat> maybe for some, been on the pathway for decades. Maybe some have gotten stalled in the ditch over here. Maybe some, our Lord, are running strong. Maybe others feel like their battery, their spiritual battery is, is dying and, and weak and needs a recharging. And Lord, I don't know, but you do. You know exactly where each of us is this morning. And so, Father, would you speak to each of us right where we are with who you are and what you want to say to us corporately but also individually. And then, Father, would you be with Pastor George and Robin and their family. Lord, they work so hard in this community. They work so hard here at Connections. They pour out their lives in service and ministry and love and sacrifice. And we pray that you would re-energize them this morning. Lord, help them to sense the prayers and the love of the people here at Connections. And Father, do a work in their lives to relax and unwind and enjoy family and friends. And Lord, just a time to sort of revitalize them from the inside out. Bless them now, O oh God. And bless this time as we read uh, the scriptures and share in God's word, O oh God. We love you. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus. We make our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. So in Exodus chapter 3, I'm going to read uh, verses, uh, ch verses 7 through 12. And of course, 
Uh, this is a very well-known passage. And about a month or so ago, three or four weeks ago, Pastor George read this passage. I want to backtrack. I'm not going to read the part about the bush and all of that, but this is at the bush. It just, it's happening in this text. And so as, the, as, as Moses is watching the bush burn but not burn up, uh, the Lord says to him in verse 5, take off your sandals and so forth. This is holy ground. And he said, I am the Lord your God. And then in verse 7, we pick up with our text today. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering. I just want to say to you that God is concerned about your suffering if you're suffering today. God cares about the big things. He cares about the little things. And if you're suffering today, it has not gone unnoticed by Jesus. And the people of Israel had been in uh, Egyptian uh, captivity for somewhere uh, around 400 years. And their, uh, their suffering had not gone unnoticed. And so he says, to, he says to Moses here as he continues, I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land and into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And then he names all of the peoples that are living over in Canaan across the Jordan River. And he says there in verse 10, I am sending you, Moses, to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And then here we go in verse 11 and 12. And Moses said to, to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Pastor George pointed out a few weeks ago that we all like to make excuses. It's like, Lord, send her. Lord, send him. God, would you, you can just call them, but I don't really want to do that. And Moses was sort of trying to get out of this. He was, I guess, content being a shepherd there for those 40 years. And then in, here it is in verse 12. God said, I will be with you. And this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Right here, this mountain. And of course, you all know that that's exactly what they did not uh, too terribly long after that. A few, um, a few weeks later, they ended up back on this spot. I want to go back, though, to, to I want to read that last little sentence again because I'm going to come back to it in a few minutes. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, Moses, you will worship God on this mountain. Now, I'm going to read very quickly in Colossians just a couple of verses. Um, and uh, I want to share with you something here from Colossians 3, verses 24, 23 and 24. Colossians 3. 23 and 24. Now, I want you to think about your life for a moment because this message is all about your life, not really about Moses. It's about your life. Whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart as working for the Lord, not men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. I want to go back up in verse 17 of that same chapter in Colossians 3. It's a similar verse, a little shorter. Paul says to the church at Colossae, Whatever you do, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. 
Can I challenge you? Would you allow me this morning? Let's, let's allow the Word of God to challenge us. Whatever you do, let me say it again, whatever you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Giving God the Father thanks for that, remembering that you are serving Jesus, not others. You are serving others, but in the big picture, you're serving Jesus, right? So I want to go back. I learned a little lesson, and this is a real simple message. It's not very... Um, it's not very complicated, but I want to tell you a quick story first. I grew up in a church in southern Virginia. Uh, my dad was the pastor. It was a cool little church. Uh, it's a little country church. We had probably 115 or 125 people on Sunday. We had a good youth group. There was a lady, there was actually a couple in this church, Ernie and Virginia Jefferson. They were just the simplest people uh, and the best people that you could ever meet in your life. They just loved God and they loved others. They were very simple. And Virginia, by the way, has given me her permission to share this little story, and I've told it a few times along the way. When I was in high school in the late 70s, I heard Virginia, I don't remember where we were, but I heard her say something that I never forgot, and I want to bring it back to us today. She had worked in Dan River Mill, which was an, um, a textile mill, uh, back in the I don't know, the 50s, the 60s, and the 70s, and I guess even before that. And she made a statement, and I don't remember the exact years, but this is what she said. It was something like this. She said, she sang in the choir. She was just a precious person, and she and Ernie, and Ernie passed away early. She lived another 25 years. But she said this in the 70s. She had been working at Dan River Mill for something like 37 years, and here's her statement. She said, I've been working at Dan River Mills for 37 years, and I have hated every minute of it. I was like, I don't know, 15 years old, and I thought, oh God, have I got to do something for 37 years that I'm going to hate every minute of? I'm going to come back to that in a moment. And I just, I thought when she said that, I was just a kid. I just thought, man, this is tragic. This is just awful. That somebody would spend their whole life doing something that they hated. Now, I want you to go with me for a moment to Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. And you'll see how all this is going to come together in a moment. There is a word in the Old Testament, actually two words that are from the same word. One of them is a verb. One of them is a noun. And the verb, for, the verb version of this, uh, this word is abad, A-B-A-D. And the noun version is abodah. So abad and abodah. And, and abad is the verb, the doing or the action word. And noun is the thing. And I'm going to come to this in a moment. We're going to find this word show up right there in the very beginning of the Bible. In Genesis 2, the Bible says God put uh, Adam in the garden. Notice this in verse 15, chapter 2. Right there in the, the garden. The Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it. And keep it. So the word work there is the word abide. It literally means to till the ground. It's manual labor. It's, it's working with your hands. It's, it's what we would call today manual labor. Just working with your hands, doing stuff. Okay? And so God gave that. By the way, work is not part of the, it's not a curse. There had been no sin in the garden. This was part of God's plan. And I want to remind us today that tomorrow morning, if you go to work or whatever you do, it, it's not a curse. It, it's actually part of God's plan for your life. 
And I learned about a dozen years ago, it really crystallized in my mind that God has commissioned every one of us in this room, not just Pastor George, not just the missionaries in Africa, not just the worship leaders like Chris and thousands of others like him, uh, men and women who lead worship, but God has called all of us and, and work, whatever you do, as Paul said, is part of God's plan. And tomorrow morning when you go to work, uh, that's part of God's plan for your life. It's not a punishment because Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden. Not at all. And we're going to come to that in a moment. But in the book of Genesis, chapter 2, verse 15, the Bible said that part of God's plan was he put the man in the garden to work it. The, uh, there's the abad. It's manual labor. But I want you to notice over in Genesis chapter uh, 29, verse 13, and I'm not even going to try to read it exactly word for word, but I paraphrase it in my notes. This is when, um, this is when uh, Jacob was uh, trying to marry uh, Rachel. Remember that story? But he married Leah instead because Laban, his father-in-law, was a shyster. And he, with the veil, he tricked, uh, he tricked Jacob. Jacob married the older sister. And he, but he, he, so he goes to Laban. This is kind of an, an astonishing statement to me. Instead of being mad about it, this is what he says. He says to, to Laban, he says, I will serve you for seven more years if you will allow me to marry Rachel. The word serve there, by the way, or the word serve is abad. All right, so are you with me so far? So abad is to work with your hands, it's manual labor, it's chopping wood, it's tilling the ground, it's tying knots in ropes, it, it's, it's anything with your hands, it's working, it's digging ditches, whatever manual labor you can imagine. But it's not just the work, it carries with it the idea of service. And in this case, serving other people. In fact, it also carries, this word is used 800 times in the Bible, and it not only means serving God, but it's also used with the idea of serving God. Serving others, serving God. But I want you to watch, and this is why I, I decided to bring this to our attention this morning. Over in the book of Exodus, when Moses, this is the burning bush in our text for today. When the Bible says in chapter 3 verse 12, when God says, I'm going to be with you and this is going to be a sign that it's me, Moses, that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will abide right here on this mountain. Now let that sink in for just a second. How do we translate that word? Somebody tell me, what does the text say? It is what? Worship, right? That's what my Bible says. When you come back to the mountain, you're going to worship. But I want you to notice it's the same word that was used in Genesis 2 to describe manual labor. It's the same word that was used in Jacob's circumstances that Jacob used to Laban when he said, I will serve you. I will work for you. I will assist you with your responsibilities. But now the exact same word is used here in Exodus 3. And, J and God says, you're going to come back here, Moses, and you're going to abide. You're, you all are going to worship me on this mountain. So what does that mean then? It means that manual labor... In the heart of God, manual labor, service, and worship are all the same thing. I wish I had known that when I was a kid. 
I wish I had known that when I was 21. I wish Virginia Jefferson had known that when she was 15. She had a sixth grade education and went to work for the mill because her family couldn't afford anything. I think that was back in the 40s. How different would it have been for Virginia when she got up and went to the mill? I think she went on to work there for 40 plus years. How different would it have been for Virginia if she had gone to work and wasn't just making money, and she didn't make a lot of money, by the way, kind of minimum wage type stuff. How different would her motivation have been on Monday morning, traipsing down to the mill again for the 40-something year, day after day, if instead of just working and making money, she had been worshiping and understood it's all the same thing. Now, I don't know about you, but I've always enjoyed going to church. Well, for the most part, I have. <laughs> I've always loved, when I was a kid, I used to love to get up and go to church and sing songs and praise Jesus and be with everybody and, you know, have the, the dinner on the grounds and all. That was a long time ago. And then the, just all the stuff that's happened through the years. We, we, generally speaking, Christians love to worship, but we don't necessarily love to work. But in reality, in the heart of God, it's all the same thing. There is no difference. In the Greco-Roman world, we begin to divide out these concepts and say, okay, this is work over here, and this is worship over here. But in God's mind and God's eye, it's all the same. Now, that'll change the way you think about going to work tomorrow, right? Because what if tomorrow, and what if Virginia Jefferson had thought to herself, I'm going to work, I'm going to serve others around me, and I'm going to worship God. Now I want you to think about this, and, and I, I have read, I think in the last five years, I've read one author, I've, had, I've seen one person talk about this. This, this occurred to me about 12 years ago. I've only read about it once. This is amazing that we've lost this somehow. It's, it's like a hidden gem. Before Moses got back to the mountain here, and you'll find that in Exodus 20, and the giving of the Ten Commandments and all of that, and that, that, that was the fulfillment. Because remember, Moses did go back. He got them out, and we're going to study that in the next few weeks here. But I want you to think for a moment, before Moses received the Ten Commandments and they worshiped God there at the mountain, go all the way back from the Garden of Eden all the way up now to Moses on the mountain a few weeks later in this passage. There, there was no Sabbath as far as the, the, Bible, the, Bible said, the Bible said that God on the seventh day rested, Right? But the Ten Commandments haven't been given yet. That's about to happen. But from Moses all the way back, there were no Ten Commandments. So there was no commandment to observe the Sabbath. There was no church. There was no temple. There was no tabernacle. There's not even a mention from Genesis 1 all the way to Exodus 20. At least I can't find it. There's not one mention of corporate worship there was no getting together of people like this couple here and this couple here and my family and each one of us. There was none of that. And so my question is, if you loved God, how did you show that? What differentiated you from the 
from the, the family down the road or the people over there on the other side of the river who worshipped other gods. What was the difference? The truth is, this is it right here. The difference is, in the way we did what, we, what they did, the motive for doing what they did, people honored God and showed their devotion to Him with the way they did their manual labor, the way they served each other, the way they served God. That was worship. Are you with me? Whew, that's a different way of going to work right there. And God says, Moses, you know, take your shoes off. You're standing on holy ground. No wonder Paul said, whatever you do, whatever you do, do it, do it well. And do it with a motivation, understanding, Jeff, that you're not just serving the people in your workplace, you're serving God. In fact, it is your act of worship when you go in and work. And we're going to come to that in just a moment. I'm going to ask you a question. Where will you be tomorrow morning at 930? I'm just... Because not everybody makes money for what they do for God. But we all have a job. We all have work. We all have worship. We're all called to serve. We are all in the process of, of this idea of abide. We serve, we work, we worship, and in the heart of God, it's all one thing. And so my question, let's bring it down in practical terms for the second half of this message. Where will you be tomorrow morning at 930, and what will you be doing, and how is it that you will be serving, worshiping, working for the Lord? Maybe you wash cars for a living. I'm just going to make up. So I sell cars for a living. Maybe you wash cars for a living. Maybe you cut hair. Maybe you're a school teacher. Maybe you're an accountant. Maybe you're the president uh, of the corporation. Maybe you're the founder of your business. Maybe you are uh, work at the grocery store. Wherever you are, whatever you do, do it well. Do it for the glory of God. Understand that you're serving Jesus, not just others, but understand that is your worship. And it's not just about what happens on Sunday. It's the other six days. It's what happens between this Sunday and next that really counts. I've always thought how much more meaningful worship would be if on Sunday morning, one or two or three or five or ten people got up for 30 seconds and Jeff just shared a, 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 an announcement, or not an announcement, but Jeff just said, hey, this is what happened in my work this week. This is what God did in my life this week. This is how God worked through me. This is what I learned. This was how I worshiped God. Wow, how, what a praise offering that would be, right? What does it mean for us to be worshiping Jesus all seven days and not just on Sunday? I, I wrote down four little things I want to share before we close. Four things that I, I think it changes the way we view, the way we view things. If, if you really believe the Word of God and understand that tomorrow morning, whatever you're doing, that is your offering to God, it'll change the way you do it big time. Let me give you an example. Uh, the place, and we'll mention four things. First of all, it will change the way we view the place where we are. Now, tomorrow morning, I'm going to go to a store in Denver, to a Volkswagen store. We have five or 600 cars in our inventory and about 80 or 85 people that work there in all of the departments. 
I'm going to be frank with you. If I described it in normal terms, I would say it is a secular business. You've heard that term, sacred and secular. The truth is there's really nothing that's secular. I want to challenge that notion for a moment. There's nothing that is secular. Everything is sacred. Now, where in the world would I get that from? You say, oh, David, if you knew my workplace, you would say, yes, sir, there are some secular places out there. Listen, I work there, by the way. I I would be embarrassed for you to hear some of the things I hear every day, but you would understand it because you hear that too from your neighbors, some of your friends, and from some of your coworkers. The place where you spend your life, some of you spend your life at home at this point. Some of you spend your life, you'll actually drive somewhere. Some of you work from your home. Some of you work in a place like I do out there somewhere else. But that place is not a secular place. Now, there's not a Christian symbol or a cross uh, above the Volkswagen emblem where I work. Trust me, there's none of that. And most of the people there don't even know Jesus. That's why I'm there. That's why you're there. I love how somebody somewhere described the way God works as saying that God just is like he's flying helicopters around the world, just dropping paratroop, Christian paratroopers behind the scenes, just dropping people into places everywhere. And that's why you're there. Because you are that light. You are the one who is working with a heart and a motivation and a commission to be the light. To represent Christ, understanding that your work is your worship. We worship in the sanctuary together on Sunday, but we worship separately. We go out into the world and we worship separately wherever God has placed you. And God said, Moses, and and Pastor George mentioned this about three weeks ago. God said, Moses, kick your shoes off there. Take your sandals off. And, And I think George alluded to this. Moses must have looked around and said, oh my goodness, are you serious, God? Do you see what's on the ground here? These are sheep, okay? Lord, have you looked? And God says, take your shoes off what? He didn't say you're on stinky ground. He didn't say you're on disgusting ground, but it probably was a little disgusting because they're sheep. Sheep do what sheep do. He didn't say you're on secular ground. He said, Moses, take your shoes off. You are on holy ground. It wasn't holy because the sheep were clean. And it wasn't holy because Moses was special. It was holy because that's the ground that God made. And it all belongs to Him. The Bible says in Psalm 24, The earth is the Lord's and all that it contains, the world and all who dwell in it. Even the place where you work is sacred. Even the place where you live is sacred. Every place that you put your foot down tomorrow is sacred ground. There's no such thing as secular. That is a misnomer. Everything was made by God. Everything belongs to God. And everything is for God's glory. It's just that we muck it up in this world so much. And that dealership I go to tomorrow that you can rarely find a trace of God sometimes, that's holy ground. And sometimes, I don't do it every day, I try to, but some days I actually remember to spiritually take my shoes off when I get to the door. I don't take my shoes off, really. But you know what I'm saying. 
I kind of kick my shoes off as I get to the door and say, I do this almost every day, this piece. God, Lord Jesus, help me to represent you right here today. These people need you, just like I need you. So it changes if we realize that our work, that, that, that work, service, and worship is all the same to God. It changes the way we view the place where we are, but it also, it changes the way we view people. We begin to see people, instead of nuisances, we, we begin to see people as blessings. We begin to see people as, as treasures that God has put in our pathway so that we can be a blessing to them. So it's, just, it's not just the place, but it's the people. In fact, let's go back to what the psalmist said. He said, the earth is the Lord's and all that it contains, the world and all who live in it, all the people who live in it. That's, that's everybody. Now, I don't know about you, but there are some people. I can tell you some stories. You could tell me some stories, but some people are really hard to love, right? And some people, we just want to kind of cast them aside and say, oh, dear God, I, I can't go there today. Let me go this, let me go this way. Here, comes, here he comes. I'm going this way. And, and maybe that's appropriate at times. I'm not judging myself or you in that way. I'm just, what I'm trying to say today is that if we understand that those people, God has put me here in this path. I have customers every day. Some of them are as nice as you are. And some of them, honestly, I wish I would never see again the rest of all of my days in the world. And you could tell me stories about your customers and your clients and your neighbors and your people and so on. But if we realize this is my worship, the way that I manage this person is my worship. If I can find it in my phone, I'm going to read a letter that your coworker sent you. You just didn't get it. It came to my mailbox. Dear work associate of mine, I wanted to thank you for something you did recently. It may not be a big deal to you, but it was huge for me. I was really down and just plain tired and discouraged. Our boss had chewed me out, and I was frustrated about my job. My numbers and company performance have suffered lately, and I can't seem to get my bottom line where the company really wants it to be. Things aren't well at home either. Lots of tension. And on that day, I was at the end of my rope with stress. This is from your co-worker, by the way. just came to my mailbox. Then you came to my office. Crazy thing is, we don't even know each other that well. But for whatever reason, you are just being your normal, friendly self. And you asked me how I was doing, and I didn't go into deep detail, but shared enough to blow off a little steam, and you actually listened. And you made me feel for a moment like I was the only person in the world. Just for a moment. And when I finished sharing my bad day, you spoke some very encouraging words. I don't remember them exactly, but the way you said them made me believe that you really care for me. That blew me away. When you offered to pray for me, I was a little dumbfounded. I didn't know what to say. I said yes, but I really wasn't sure what you were going to do because I don't know much about prayer. I'm not much of a churchgoer. But when you started praying for the first time in a long time, I sensed peace in my heart. I don't understand how that happened, but I'll take it. You said something about God on your way out of my office. I don't know who he is, but whomever or whatever he is, I sure am thankful today. Last paragraph, and this coworker who wrote you said, Hey, what's different about you? 
I hope you won't stop being the person you are. I had lunch today with one of our associates. I didn't tell her what you did for me. Funny thing, as we were eating, she began to tell a story that was similar to mine about being in a difficult situation recently, and she told me you were there to offer her help. You may not get a lot of thanks for being the kind of person or the kind of worker and friend you are to all who are here, but thank you, and please don't stop. It changed my life that day, and I know I'm not the only one whose life has been impacted by you. With all you, we all need you, though we don't typically say it. Have a great day, and thanks again, sincerely, your coworker. They, they sent that to you, by the way. It just came to my address. I wanted to share it. It begins if we realize that we are commissioned and we're, we're out there representing. It changes the way we view the place that we live and work and move and do our labors. And it changes the way we view the people. And then it changes the product. The stuff that we produce. Whether it's music, or whether it's furniture, whether it's the delivery of a car, or the way we manage children if you're a school teacher, or the way you do things. It, it changes the, the finished product. Let me give you an example, and this is the best one I could ever think of. When Jesus was 30, He came public with His ministry, right? Anybody know what He did before that? He was a carpenter. Yeah, we all knew that. You just had the guts to say it out loud. Thank you. <laughs> the Bible says that Jesus was a carpenter. The Bible says he was a carpenter. In another place, it says he was a carpenter's son. So he grew up in it. I don't, we don't know what happened to his, his earthly father, Joseph. Maybe he died along the way because there's no record after the age of 12, so he must have passed away. Jesus undoubtedly inherited the family business, and they, and they, they, they made things. That was Abad, making things with his hands. Do you think you ever heard it said in Nazareth? Yeah, you know, two guys are talking in the marketplace, okay? This is in Jesus' lifetime. Jesus is 23 years old now, okay? Nobody really knows he's the Messiah yet, except maybe his mom. I don't know if she knew exactly. I, who knows? Jesus is 23. He's the head of the, the shop, the carpenter shop. Can you imagine two guys in the community there in Nazareth where he grew up and where he lived? Can you imagine this ever being said? Yeah, you know, I bought a, I bought a table from Jesus, the guy down there. runs a carpenter shop. Yeah. That thing was so wobbly. It was so shoddy that it would barely stay. When you put your hands on it, it just wobbled. <laughs> Said no one ever. <laughs> Don't you wish you had a shelf or a table or a yoke? Something that Jesus crafted with his hands? Wouldn't that be a treasure? A little silly, a little fantasy here. What kind of product do you think Jesus turned out? Nothing shoddy about that. Because the character and the nature of God is to do things with excellence. 
And when God saw all that he had made, he said, it's good. Oh, it's good. It is so good. It's never been that good since because he made us on that last day before he rested. And we've kind of, again, we have a way of mucking things up, don't we? What did, what did the psalmist say, 139? He talked about how God, how he was wonderfully, wondrously 